You're listening to this week's message from Freedom Church. For more info on Freedom, visit freedomdl.com. Thanks for listening. We are in the third week of this series called Taken. And um, it, it's, it's been kind of like marriage counseling, to be honest with you. We can't call it marriage counseling legally. legally. It's, uh, these are sermons, uh, but they're principles that can actually help you, not just with your marriage, but with every relationship you have. And the whole concept behind this is, is your heart taken by your spouse? Is your heart taken by the Lord? Are you really all in in those relationships? I've read a lot out of 1 Corinthians chapter 13, and we're going to read 1 Corinthians chapter 13 again today. But, but the whole point is that these, these passages, these verses, these messages are designed to help you have better relationships, better communication, not just with your spouse, but for you single folks, it might be for your future spouse. Come on, Jesus. Come on, pray him in. You know what I'm saying? Like, but I want to dispel also this, this notion that if you don't have somebody, that you're not complete. You can be totally and perfectly complete in who you are without another person if that's what God's called you to. Paul didn't get married. And, and he, he, Paul got a lot of work done. You know what I'm saying? Like two-thirds of the New Testament is pretty incredible. I don't know about y'all, but I needed to be married. Like I wanted a wife. And so I got a great one. But uh, the whole point is whether you're single or whether she's like, that's the truest thing you've ever said from platform, Jason. <laughs> um, I've read John 3.16. So anyway. But the whole point is, whether you're single or whether you're married, I want you to know these principles can really, really help you uh, in your relationship with God and your relationship with people, okay? So let's read from 1 Corinthians chapter 13 to start off with. We're going to read verses 1 through 3. The Bible says this, If I could speak all the languages of the earth and of angels, but I didn't love others, I would only be a noisy gong or clanging cymbal. If I had the gift of prophecy and if I understood all God's secret plans and possessed all knowledge, and if I had such faith that I could move mountains but didn't love others, I would be nothing. If I gave everything I have to the poor and even sacrificed my body, I could boast about it. But if I didn't love others, I would have gained nothing. Now, these are incredible passages, and you should read these passages, and you should save them. I don't know if you have the Version app, but click the little hamburger down there, the little menu button, click events, click Freedom Church, save this message, go back and look at it because it's really going to benefit you. But let me ask you this question. Why is love such a big deal? Now, if you read the context of what was going on in the Corinthian church at this time, uh, chapter 12 talks a lot about uh, prophetic stuff and about speaking in tongues and about gifts of the Spirit. And then chapter 14 talks about how services are not supposed to be crazy chaotic with chickens flying and people jumping pews and rolling around and gold dust flying and like craziness, and, and we can have that conversation about what all that looks like, but we believe in the gifts of the Spirit. We believe in being expressive in worship, but we also don't believe that the worship service should be about you and that there should be order and not chaos. And anytime there's chaos, how can God work in people's lives when there's just chaos going on in the, in the, in the pews? And if you disagree with me, okay, I hear you, but I invite you to go read 1 Corinthians 14 and allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you about that, Okay. But right in the middle of this, Paul is saying love is more important than spiritual gifts. Love is more important than whether or not you flip and flop around in the church house. Love is the most important thing. And what you were doing, Corinthian church, is you were focusing on your gifts. Oh, I can prophesy or I can preach or I can do this and that and the other. And God's saying, I don't care about any of that if you don't love people. You're a clanging symbol to me. But God, I'm operating in the gifts that you gave me. Bang, bang, bang. It means nothing because you don't love people. 
So why is it such a big deal? The Bible teaches that you can have infinite knowledge, infinite charity, and even infinite sacrifice, but without love, you have nothing. So consider that for a moment. You could know every language on earth. We're trying to learn Kenya Rwanda right now, huh, Brandon? My Mazungo back there, he didn't say, he didn't say nothing because we're still working on it. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Guys, you could even learn to speak woman. By the way, I know some, I can speak some of that language. Like, for instance, you don't have to give me a gift. <laughs> we'll talk after service. <laughs> you can know the languages of the earth. Hey, you can know the languages of heaven. You can know even the cultural context of the language to always say the right thing. This is something we learned going to Rwanda is, um, you know, our sayings over here. Boy, it's hot. It's a, you know, you're as um, nervous as a, a, a cat in a room full of rocking chairs. Well, that doesn't mean a whole lot in Rwanda. You know what I'm saying? So like even the cultural context of things, you can understand the depths of God's knowledge. What? You could know what God knows. You could literally know everything that ever was. You could know every plan God has had since the foundation of the world. You could look at people and know exactly what God's plan was for their life. You could have faith that was so strong that mountains would move. Nothing would be impossible for you. You could be the most giving, charitable person that ever lived on earth. You could change people's lives with how you pour out and help and how you support them. You could even lay your life down and not just give your resources, but your very life. But the Bible says if you don't have love, it all means nothing. If love is so big of a deal that you essentially have what the world thinks is the most valuable and still you gain nothing, then what is love? Well, I don't think I could give you a complete understanding of that without talking about the four biblical loves. Now, a lot of times you think there are three. There's actually four. The first one is storge, and that's like familial love. That's the love you feel within your family. Then there's phylos, that's brotherly love. That's like love between friends. Eros is romantic love. Come on, y'all. Valentine's. What's up, y'all? Ooh, girl, you cute. You know, like that kind of love. And then agape is unconditional love. Now, agape is the one we like to talk about. That's the one we like to talk about in church because of the context of God and his love for us. It's selfless. It's unconditional love. That's what God's love is. It's a good way to describe God's love. Think about Romans 5.8. Tony mentioned it earlier, but God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. I mean, he died for us even though even though we, we hadn't even accepted him yet. He, he went ahead and laid down his life. He put his money where his mouth is. This is a classic verse to describe God's agape love. He still loved us when we were enemies. He loved us at our worst. So no matter how bad you are right now in this moment, no matter how bad the fight was with your spouse this morning, we are coming to church, no matter how bad this week has been, you are still not at your worst because at least you know God now. If he loved you when you were at your worst, do you think he won't love you right now in this moment? Knowing these four versions of biblical love helps, but it's kind of still hard to define and understand what love is in 1 Corinthians, what it's really talking about here. So I found a quote from C.S. Lewis that I thought was an incredible way to say it. Of course, C.S. Lewis is a magician with words. He can just say it the right way. So here's what he says. Love is not an affectionate feeling, but a steady wish for the loved person's ultimate good as far as it can be obtained. What a powerful definition. Just leave it on the screen for a second. What a powerful definition. So let's define love then today, our working definition of love, as love is the never-ending pursuit 
of someone's ultimate good. The never-ending pursuit of someone's ultimate good. Now, that sounds good, but is it biblically accurate? Well, we can nail that down with one verse, and that's this, John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That's the never-ending pursuit of someone's ultimate good, your ultimate good. It's a powerful definition. So let me ask you this. Do you love your spouse like that? Are you in a never-ending pursuit for your spouse's ultimate good? What about, what about with your family? What about with your children? And when I say your family, I don't mean every relative you have. Because I'm going to tell you right now, <laughs> there are some relatives out there, God bless them, but y'all need to go ahead and stay out, you know what I mean? Your immediate family, the people who live in the house with you, are you... Are you in a never-ending pursuit of their ultimate good? What about, hey, what about with yourself? Are you pursuing your ultimate good as well? If you do, then how far are you willing to go for someone's ultimate good? Let's hit some verses. Let's see what the Bible says about this. 1 Corinthians 16, 14, let all that you do be done in love. Like even when I'm at Walmart. <laughs> yeah. Even, even, when, even when you get rear-ended by somebody who is jacking with their phone or somebody cuts in front of you on 610, like, that's the worst thing somebody can do to you. You know what I'm saying? Galatians 5, 13-14, For you are called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. What about 1 Peter 4, 8? Above all, keeping, uh, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. Raise your hand if you've been sinned against by somebody. Any, anybody ever sinned against you? Guess what? Your love for them will cover that. Okay. Colossians three fourteen, And above all these put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Is there chaos in your home? You might want to check where your love sits. Okay. 1 John 4.18, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. I sent this to the, to the men's chat earlier this week, and I, and I said, you have to be careful because if you fear God right now, and I don't mean like the holy fear, I mean like you're scared that he's about to strike you dead, it's probably because you haven't repented of something that you should have done, because if you repented, you've received his forgiveness, and there is no fear because his love has covered your sin. These are verses we love about love. They make us feel good. We crave them because they either make us the recipient of godly love or they give us the opportunity to perpetuate God's love. We like them. But let me share the second point today with you. Love is the willingness to embrace the tough things too. Not just the easy stuff. Tough things like discipline and correction and wisdom. Have you figured out that you aren't right about everything? I heard some wives answer for their spouses. Praise God. Look, we love those encouraging Bible verses, but what about these? Proverbs 13, 24. Whoever spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him is diligent to discipline him. Y'all have always heard, spare the rod, spoil the child. It's not what the Bible says. The Bible says if you spare the rod, you hate your son. If you don't discipline your children, it means you hate them. 
And can I tell you something else? Like, I'm going to tell you the quiet part that nobody else talks about. Is if you don't discipline your children, you raise people who other people hate. They don't want to be around them because you refuse to discipline them. And they bring chaos into every environment they go into because they've never had somebody say, Stop, we are going to do the right thing. Okay, I'm going to leave that alone. Revelation 3.19, those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. So be zealous and repent. I don't, I don't like discipline. It hurts me. What about Hebrews 12, starting verse 5? And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? And ladies, when you hear sons, think daughters as well. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we, have, we all have earthly fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them. Shall, uh, shall, we not, uh, shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them, but He disciplines us for our good, that we may share His holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Do you see the language here? Sons and daughters? So let me just put it to you like this. If you think that the best way to lead your household is just to let everybody do whatever the heck they want to, that's not biblical. And if you live like that, you're going to have a real hard time when God's to begin to discipline you because guess what? God doesn't live like that. God is going to check you. Okay? He's going to address issues in your life. We don't like that because we'd rather do what we want to do. But if you really want to embrace God's John 3.16 love, you better embrace the Hebrews 12 love too. Can't have one without the other. It's like love and marriage. Let me ask you, are you okay with calling it love when someone tells you something you don't want to hear or calling out something in you that needs to change? Now, how they say it is a big part of that, right? You're ugly and you need makeup. Okay, wait a minute, buddy. <laughs> now, while we joke about that, listen to me. We've demonized confrontation and we have deified minding our own business. We've, we've made it holy to just mind your own business. And listen to me, this is a goal of Satan within our culture to make everybody completely, totally tolerant of everything that goes on around you. Now, listen, I'm one of those people that says, look, if you want to worship some other God, knock yourself out. Okay? You live your life. Do what you want to do. But it doesn't mean that I have to be okay with it. Now, I don't, I'm not here to shove my Christianity down your throat. I will share the gospel with you. And I had a conversation this week. I was in Bethesda and I was riding in an Uber with a Muslim and we were talking about this very thing. And I said, look, I'm okay with you sharing your faith with me. Why? Because if you think this is how to live, then you telling me about your faith means that you love me enough to tell me what you consider the truth. I said, but you have to reciprocate that. You got to let me tell you because I think it's just now. Once we get out of this Uber, I'm not going to sit here with a gun to you and say, no, go with Jesus or you're going to die. I don't think that's right. But we've become so 
embrace it. Like we've embraced so much this idea of just mind your own business. Like don't say anything. And I've even seen spouses where husbands get fed up and the spouse is like, just calm down. Like it's not your family. It's not your business, you know. And I hear you. And so I'm not saying be a jerk and be mean about it. But I am saying this. If in the body of Christ we can't call out and address issues that we see in each other, what's the point? I want to live in an environment with you guys where you are willing to come to me and say, hey, listen, this, this, this. Well, he's a preacher. I can't say that to you. You better say it to me. Because if you don't, you don't love me. So the Bible teaches, you don't love me if you won't talk to me about it. I'd rather you love me enough to have a courageous conversation. I've had to have some courageous conversations with some of you guys. Some of our staff has had to have courageous conversations. I've heard sometimes Tony talks to people and has these meetings, and I'm like, wow, you said that? Wow, like, all right, you're braver than I am. You know what I'm saying? But Tony's not afraid of the courageous conversation. I've heard Brandon talking to some people before, and I was like, oh, snap. Like, I remember Mike Park at New Covenant. He was one of our pastors on staff. I mean, he would tell people how the couch used the corn. And, but you know what? Those meetings brought about a lot of change in people. You know why? Because, listen, you don't like this, but you need to hear what you need to fix. Do you know a lot of people don't even know that something's broken? And so it takes calling it out. We, we call a church that refuses to let you continue in your sin judgmental and churches that let things slide welcoming. Now, don't get me wrong, we want to offer welcome and we want to build relationships, but at what point do we have to get to with you before we can address issues that are clearly keeping you from your ultimate good? Legit question. At what point? Like, how far down the line, relational-wise, do we need to get before we can talk about those things? And, and if we don't tell you about issues that are clearly keeping you from your ultimate good, can we really say that we love you? You know, one of the things we strive to be here at Freedom Church is authentic. We want to be authentic. I'm not talking about being real, okay? Because being real doesn't necessarily mean being authentic. Authenticity is a whole other animal. It's deeper. It's you showing us who you really are. And listen, some of you have been terrified to show who you really are because who you really are isn't really that awesome inside. Like you have things that you need to address and correct and fix. But I hope that anytime you open your heart and show people who you really are, that you're loved and welcome. That's the love and welcome I want. But it doesn't mean that I'm just going to let you continue in the thing that's making you yucky. I can't. Because if I let you continue, then I don't love you. It's a love issue. Well, if they see what's inside, they're going to hate me. No, no. God forbid we ever, if that ever happens, we're going to just shut the whole thing down. Love covers sin. And for too long, churches have exposed sin. They've paraded the sinners in front and said, don't be like them. Instead of doing everything we can to help you get better and be who God created you to be. Church, man, I'm, I'm this is mean, and I probably won't say this in second service, but there are a lot of churches out there that are not about your ultimate good. They're just not. That's heartbreaking. We have to be careful that we don't make love the never-ending pursuit of ultimate comfort rather than the never-ending pursuit of their ultimate good. 
Now, I don't mean being mean and aggressive, but we've become so complacent in the Western church that we've allowed sin and not actually exercised love. So serious question here. Since after all this, this is a message on defining what love is. If we refuse to deal with sin within the family of God, are we being biblical? Because don't we need to take everything back to the Bible? Now, we can read about how sexual sins were dealt with in the Old Testament. I mean, stone him like it got kind of it got kind of out there. You know what I mean? But the New Testament is supposed to be all accepting and welcoming and love, love, love. Right. Okay, 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 1 through 2, and then verses 12 through 13. Paul says, I can hardly believe the report about sexual morality going on among you, something that even the pagans don't do. I'm told about a man in your church that's living in sin with his stepmother. You are so proud of yourselves, but you should be in mourning, in sorrow, and in shame. You should remove this man from your fellowship. Remember, 1 Corinthians, they were bragging about their spiritual prowess, that they could prophesy and speak in tongues, and they could do all these things. And Paul's like... You letting somebody live in this level of, 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 of immorality? What are you guys doing? Verse 12. It isn't my responsibility to judge outsiders, but it's certainly your responsibility to judge those inside the church who are sinning. God will judge those on the outside, but as the scriptures say, you must remove the evil person from among you. Okay, so we got to address this because this is kind of a hard teaching, isn't it? How do you remove the evil person from among you? Let me tell you something right now. God always wants restoration always without question god is always after restoration that's why he offers restoration to you first okay it's always about restoration we're having problems in our marriage and and maybe divorce is going to be well god always wants restoration first yeah but he cheated god always wants restoration first always so when it comes to somebody that's living in such sin in their lives, within the context of the church body, and they just won't deal with it, won't change. The first thing we do is we try restoration. How can we help you? What can I do to help you? Can I show you Bible verses that will help? Can I walk with you? Can we have a six-month process by where we help you? And it doesn't always have to be sexual stuff. Like it might be something that you're struggling with, an addiction, or, or something you just, uh, unforgiveness in your heart that's creating depression in your life. Like, can we help you with this? Can we get you in a D group? Can we counsel with you once a week? Can we pay for professional counseling? Like, how can we help you? It's always the first option. Always. But we've had people that have come to Freedom Church that refused to adhere to what the Bible says. And at the end of the day, I was, I was unwilling to move from what the Bible said. They wanted to change our culture. They wanted to change our belief structure. And I refuse because the Bible says. What, what, do you, what do you want me to do? One of my pastor friends yesterday sent us a message to our group and said, hey, anybody have a, had to deal with a flat earther before? I got somebody in my church that's like really staunch about flat earth. Now, some of y'all might be like, okay, some of y'all might be flat earthers. God bless you. But let me just tell you, there's a verse that specifically talks about that, about the circle above which God sits. Circle. The circle. What about the four corners? Let me tell you something. If there is a disk that the earth is, tell me where's north. The only way you can have a north is if there is a north pole and a south pole upon which the axis spins. I'm just saying it's all in the Bible. Why am I bringing all this up? I'm not trying to disprove flat earth. What I'm trying to tell you is this. 
If the Bible says it, we're going to do it. And, and listen, I'm going to say this with much love in my heart. If that's not what you want, this might not be the church for you. We are going to be a truth-teaching, biblical church no matter what. Okay? And we're also not going to listen to us. The Spirit told me this and the Spirit told me that. Well, baby, if the Spirit don't line up with His Word, it ain't from God. Sorry, that's where we're going to stand on that. All right? Why? Because I don't want to be a compromised body of believers. I don't. Now, I'm asking you to go from person to person and tell them unsolicited how they are sinning and how they need to get it together or they're out of the church. Hold on, tiger. Only do that if you want it done to you. Because don't forget, a lot of people don't have mirrors in their house. But you might not be as rosy as you think you are. I'm not saying that to be mean. I'm saying that to be real and authentic and, and truth-telling. Y'all got problems too. Hey, guess what? I got problems. Okay? This week, I got frustrated with the situation pertaining to the building. And I had awesome people in the team around me that loved me. First said, hey, Jason, I want you to know you're in a safe space. But number two, take a deep breath. This is going to be okay. They can't talk to me like that. They better talk to me like that. They better. We teach truth and grace here at Freedom Church. Grace, if you have all grace, it creates compromise. If you have all truth, it breaks relationship. But when truth and grace are working hand in hand, restoration happens. That's what we're after. So, you shouldn't expect a mean, aggressive confrontation. But if there are areas of your life where sin is obviously, wouldn't you want someone to love you enough to talk to you about it? Psalm 139, 22 and, uh, 23 and 24. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there is any grievous way in me and lead me into the way everlasting. Psalm 51, 10, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Look, we want God to do these things, but we don't like it when God uses people to help bring purity in our lives. But the truth is, God most often uses other people to introduce purity into our lives. So if you want to just have you and a God thing, look, I'm going to tell you, there is a limit to the Christianity that you're going to be able to embrace. There's a limit to you and God only Christianity. You need people. You need people. So what does this have to do with my marriage? <laughs> with being taken by the Lord, taken by the ones I love. It's simple. One of the best things you can do to love your spouse is to love yourself. Because when you love yourself, you're pursuing your own ultimate good as well. Now, this makes you deal with things that are keeping you from being your absolute best. Now, remember, loving your neighbor is prefaced by how you love God and how you love yourself. Okay? So don't be so busy trying to work on the marriage that you don't work on you. Because guess what? You might be the problem. You might be the issue. So, be careful that you don't get upset when someone in your church family tries to address an issue in their life, in your life. Now, I realize it's super important how they do it, but at the end of the day, even if they flub the attempt, aren't they simply pursuing your ultimate good, at least what they think it is? Hey, you shouldn't want that. You should crave that. Oh, I'm judgmental church people tell me what to do. All right, man, if that's how you're going to live, let me tell you something. You're always going to deal with whatever that struggle is. It's always going to be there. 
oh, God will fix it, then why hadn't he? Could it be that God wanted you in an authentic, welcoming family that loves you enough to have that conversation? It's just like the situation where the guy stranded on the, on the shore. God, save me. And a boat comes by. No, it's okay. God's going to rescue me. And then a helicopter comes by. No, it's okay. God's going to rescue me. And then he dies and goes to heaven. He's like, hey, God, what happened? I prayed and you didn't rescue me. He's like, I sent a boat and a chopper. The chopper. I knew I should have said chopper. Helicopter. Get to the chopper. No, do it. God will save me. Okay, so. That literally was a squirrel that just ran across. My whole point is this. Why are you going to get mad about somebody trying to help you? Why are you going to get mad about somebody trying to love you? I don't like how they said it. All right, fine. I agree. They probably should have handled it a little differently. But if you get offended about how they tried to handle it, now the sin is on you because you're offended and you shouldn't be. So do we really want to play the game or do we just want to focus on each other's ultimate good? Now, we've got to be careful that we aren't always pointing out other people's issues. You know what I'm saying? Now, let me say this, too. I'm not giving you as loving yourself. I'm not giving you a license for selfishness, okay? That isn't what love yourself is about. I'm saying two things. First, if you're going to pursue someone's ultimate good, then you're going to have to be pursuing your own ultimate good as well. Look, you pour out of the abundance that you have. And if your cup is full of dirty water and you're trying to give somebody else a drink, what do you think you're feeding them? You're feeding them your filth. Okay, whatever's in your cup is going to be poured out, y'all. Yeah, yeah. My point is that if you want to be effective at pursuing someone else's ultimate good, it would do you well to evaluate what is filling you up and determining whether or not you need to be more intentional about pursuing the ultimate good in you as well. But second, Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven 37 and 39 says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. And second is like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Look, loving God is always first. The moment you loving yourself turns into selfishness, it becomes idolatry. And you can't possibly love God or anyone else if you are selfishly worshiping at the altar of you. Can't do it. So what does worshiping at your own altar look like? Let me give you some things. Always demanding your way. Being selfish with resources like money and food. Fits of anger when you don't get your way. Manipulating those around you with your attitude. Using fear to control. Demanding but refusing to reciprocate. Laziness when it comes to things in the home, from cleaning to spending time with family, etc. Or, in summary, not doing Philippians 2 and 3, which says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. God has a better plan for you than selfishness, but love has to lead the way. I read 1 Corinthians 13 earlier. I'm going to read 4 through 7 now. It says, love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It's not irritable. It keeps no record of being wronged. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up. Love never loses faith. It's always hopeful and endures through every circumstance. The last thing I want to share with you today is love is always pursuing what's best. Always. I think the hardest thing about this, though, is determining what's best. How do you know what's best? Because the best in one person's eyes doesn't necessarily mean it's the best in somebody else's eyes. So what do you do in that situation? How do you decide what best is? Well, let me give you 
three little quick things that will help you. The first is simply this, the Word. The Word of God. Does what you think is the best line up with what the Word says is the best? Now, I know, I know you'd love for me to give you like a series of things to like prove the point. But I was thinking it's like it's too much. Like the word, the word has something about marriage. It has, it has something about finance. It has something about how you handle family members. It has something about how you deal with coworkers. It's how do you, how do you deal with sin and temptation? Like there's so much to it. So how to spend money, how to treat your spouse, whether or not you should say something. There are tons of potential issues that require the best solution. And the word of God can speak to them all. There's a great tool online, and I do this a lot. I've told you about this a lot, but if you go to a Google search or Bing, I don't know who uses Bing, anyway. Ask Jeeves. No, um, if you put in, what does the Bible say about, and then you put your topic. What's the Bible say about depression? You put that in. Typically, the first one that pops up is openbible.info. And what it does is it gives you a list of all the Bible verses that they could find that have something to do with that topic. I use this every week when it comes to sermon prep. Like, how does he know all them Bible verses? Well, I mean, I know a lot of them just because I've been a Christian since I was five. You know what I'm saying? But like, it's 39 years now, which is wild. I hadn't always really been chasing after Jesus, but I've been, you know, in the family. Uh, I know I'm the only one that's ever had that issue. I'm doing it right now, preacher. Well, get right. Come on, there's the altar. All right. But it's a great way to find Bible verses that specifically have to deal with, with that information. You can even go to freedomdl.com slash Bible, and there's a list of, of tools and resources that can help you. Freedomdl.com slash Bible. Okay? But here's the key. You have to be willing to dig in and let God show you what he wants you to see, and then listen, this is the fun part. Do it. Okay, if you if you don't if you don't do it, it doesn't matter. You have to do what the Bible says. The second one is your team. Proverbs eleven fourteen, where there is no guidance, a people falls, but in abundance of counselors, there is safety. Listen, I know your initial reaction is to not say anyone any anything to anyone because you don't want anybody knowing your business. I get you, fam. But just real bluntly, real bluntly, <laughs> that, that is stupid. Okay. That is, a, that is a stupid way to live. And I'm not even going to say ignorant, because ignorant means lack of knowledge. This is like a dumb way to live. Right. Like, it's just stupid. I know some of you young kids are like, oh my gosh, he said the S word. Like, I get it. I know. Okay, it's stupid. There, it's not the S word anymore, all right? The Bible tells us that people who live like that, you fail. Okay? It, so if you want to live your life where nobody has any input on your life, nobody's there to help you, nobody's there to speak life into you, nobody's there to encourage you, nobody's there to call out things that you can't see, not only is that a stupid way to live, you're going to fail. It's a guaranteed way to fail. I, I, I'm not letting anybody see my finances. That's my business. All right, you're going to fail. You're probably already failing, and that's probably why you don't want anybody to see your finances. I don't want anybody looking at my marriage because I'm going to fail. You're probably already failing. You're probably on the verge of divorce, and you think that you're going to be able to fix it by yourself somehow. By God, we got us into it. We're going to. No, you're not. No, you're not. If you could fix it, you'd have fixed it. Come on, you'd have fixed it. I had a moment like this this week. You want to talk about authenticity? You're not supposed to have these moments like this, Pastor. Okay, <laughs> whatever. 
you're at the wrong church. Like, I have problems too. And this week, I had a moment where I just got tired. Come on, man. Anybody? Come on. I'm talking to somebody right now. Yeah. You're just tired. Yeah. It's like you, 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 you can't. It's all on you. You have all the pressure. You have to take care of yourself. If, if there's anything that happens that's good, it's like you're the one that has to do it. You've got to cook your own food. You've got to wash your own clothes. It's just all on you. You feel like you've got no help. I know I'm talking to somebody here right now. And, and, and you need to hear this. My initial reaction to those feelings was, Jason, just keep it to yourself. You can't let anybody see the cracks. Just don't call anybody on your team. I don't want to call Steven again because I feel like I'm always whining to Steven. I don't want to call. Just, just keep it to yourself. And I'm driving down the road, and out loud I said, no, I will not live like this. I will not sit here and do the opposite of the very thing I tell you that you need to do. So you know what I did? I recorded this long voice message, and I sent it to somebody. And you know what? I wasn't even looking for a response. And you know what the person said back? I sent it to two people. One of the, per- one of the people sent back a message that said, Jason, I know you're not looking for a response, but I just want you to know I hear you. The other person immediately called me. And they said, I don't love you because of anything you've ever done for me. I love you because of who you are, and that's it. So the very thing that the enemy is trying to do in my own life was to keep me inside and, and bottle up all those emotions and feelings so at some point I would blow up and ruin everything. But I said, I'm not living like that. I'm going to call somebody. I'm going to get help. I'm going to reach out. Why? Because when I'm isolated and alone and refuse to open my chest to people, I fail. And you know what? I can't afford to fail right now. There's too much riding on this. Every week I'm praying for you guys and I'm thinking about what's going on in your lives. We can't fail. So how do we not fail? I surround myself with people. I surround myself. I have to. Proverbs 18, 1 and 2, whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire, but he breaks out against all sound judgment. A fool takes no pleasure in understanding, but only in expressing his opinion. That last bit, expressing his own opinion, it's hilarious. Opinions are like excuses. Everybody has one. But your opinion may or may not be wrong. But if all you ever have is someone to validate your opinion, you aren't seeking your best, you're seeking your own desire. And listen to me, church, your own desire might not be your best. I don't know about you, but in my own life, my desire typically isn't my best. In fact, my desire most often is the exact opposite of what I should do. Anybody else in here like that? Why? It's because I tend to be impulsive. When you isolate yourself. The only best you have access to is the best that you already have in your hand. That might not be the best. Your ability to solve the issue might not be the best, but when you refuse to reach out to your team, those people who know you, know God, love you, love God, and have your best interests in mind, that's how things change. And the last one is this. is the word, your team, and the last one is the voice. My Rwandan brother Bosco calls God's voice the voice. He'll say, He'll say, Jason, the voice told me today. 
You've gone to the word. You've gotten counsel from your five friends. But have you listened to the voice? Now, let me give you a real big misconception about prayer. I've got to sit there for an hour and just talk. No. You should probably talk for about two minutes and then shut your pie hole <laughs> and open your ear hole and let the Holy Spirit speak to you. Now, some of y'all, that makes you think that you're not praying because isn't praying like you're... Di- no. Listen, I hear you, and I don't, I'm not telling you you have to pray or do anything in any certain way. The prayer that Jesus gave where he says, this is how you pray, it's an example of how to pray. Jesus isn't saying, if you don't do it like this, then you're going to hell. Now, some, some Christian traditions have taken that to the nth degree. But listen to me. Sitting in God's presence and allowing him to speak to you, some of you, you need that more than any talking you do to God. And if you need help with that, ask an intercessor. They'll help you. They don't just sit there and just like, well, Jesus, no, 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 Jesus, no, no, no. A lot of times they just sit and listen to what the Spirit's saying. Side note, God's voice will always agree with God's word. He will never tell you something that contradicts his word. I don't care how spiritual you think you are. But if the voice tells you something that doesn't line up with the word, you heard the wrong voice. Okay, let me bring this thing back around. Let me break it into these three bits. Are you pursuing your best or God's best for yourself? Are you pursuing your best or God's best for your spouse? Are you pursuing your best or God's best for your family? If you aren't, then one simple question. What is taking your love to the point where you're no longer pursuing God's best where it matters most? Let me just wrap it up today, guys. Love can be harder to find. It can be difficult, okay? But I can assure you one thing it's not. Love is not a feeling. Hooked on a feeling. No, that's dumb. You know? Okay, love isn't butterflies and warm fuzzies. All right? You're not Olaf, okay? Calm down. If love was just a feeling, then it would rise and fall with your circumstances. And people who live as love as a feeling, that's what happens. I love you, but I don't like you right now. Whatever, man. Listen to me. Love isn't a feeling, but you know what love is? It's a choice. You choose to love. It's something that is a constant regardless of your circumstances. And it doesn't grow without effort and willingness. You got to work at it. All right, love isn't a fern. It'll just grow anywhere. No, love is like crops that take a lot of time and effort and love. You got to pour your life into it. If you choose to love, it's going to require you to be dedicated to it. 1 Corinthians 16, 14. Let all you do be done in love. Here's my translation. In everything, pursue its ultimate good. That's love. Now, based on what you've heard today, let me ask you a question. How well have you been loving? How well have you been loving? I want you to check three areas today. The the first is, have you been loving yourself well? Let me just say, have you been taking care of yourself? I know in the fast-paced world we live in, even when it comes to eating, you know, I had to go to the dentist this week and they asked, you know, your weight. And I'm like, don't get me depressed. I'm already here. You know, but, you know, over the course of the last couple of months, I've lost like 25 pounds. I've been, yeah, whatever. It's, it's, it's just, food's delicious. That's my problem. You ever had food before? Holy, like food is delicious, man. It's really good. And 
And the cheaper, quicker version of food is the worst for you. But are you taking care of yourself? Are you taking care of your body? I'm not just talking about weight. Some of y'all haven't gone to the doctor for a checkup because you're afraid of what he might tell you. You better go to the doctor. How can I praise you from the grave, David says. Check yourself, all right? These McDonald's hamburgers are trying to kill you. But beyond physical, have you sought the word and sought counsel and listened for God's voice? Have you embraced discipline and correction? (laughs) Are you still mad because somebody checked you about something that you were doing that was wrong? Or are you embracing correction? If not, make a commitment now to do that. That might mean you need to come get prayer from our team at the end. It might mean that you share this stuff that you're dealing with with a five friend. It might mean you need to jump into a D group. Why? Because you get Bible engagement, accountability, and they'll pray for you. And you need that like the air that you're about to breathe in right now. The second part is, have you been loving your spouse well? Have you sought the word counsel and listened to God's voice for your spouse? Let me tell you something. If you yell at them more than you pray for them, shame. <laughs> like, you need, you need to change that. Have I been selfish and considerate and put my spouse over myself? If not, make a commitment now to do that. It might mean prayer with your spouse here at the end. It might mean getting a third party involved, help from our team. It might involve professional counseling. Maybe you just need to grab your spouse's hand before you leave in the morning and pray over them quickly. You don't have to pray for an hour. And, but it doesn't need to be, bless you, and then out the door. You know what I mean? Like, God, I pray your best on my wife today. I pray that she would wake up and have energy. That, that, she would, that she would love her life. That you would speak to her. That your best would happen in her. God, that you would, you would show me, you would give me wisdom on how I can best serve my wife. How do you think your relationship with her would change? Let me ask you this. How do you think your relationship with God would change? Lastly, have you been loving your family well? It says myself well, but that's a typo. Have you been loving your family well? Have you sought the word, sought counsel, and listened to God's voice for your family? Listen to this. Have you created an environment where your family can grow in God's love and faith? If not, make a commitment not to do that. It might mean making Jesus a priority in your family. It might mean dealing with problem areas from parenting to finances. Maybe how y'all handle conflict in your home. Maybe something as simple as praying with each family member at night before they go to bed. Last night I go to give Audrey tuck-ins and we do these things called rubbies where it's over the back and the belly and their leg and a leg and an arm and an arm and then I have to rub her head and then I have to hug her. And I was, she was tired and it was late and I just was going to lay her down and let her go to sleep and um, she looked up and she said um, pray over me. She'll be six this week and um It's like, was I really willing to do all the other stuff and not the thing that mattered? And so I held her tight and I prayed over her. And I I let God know so she could hear it, how happy I was that she was my little girl and that I got to be her dada and that I loved her and that I was proud of her. What do you think that will do for your children if they get that every night? 
It will change them forever. But you know what it requires? It requires your heart to be taken by the Lord. And it requires your heart to be all in with your family. And if it's not, you need to address that today. Whatever it is, let's be committed to being better at pursuing their ultimate good. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for today. Thank you for this moment. God, I thank you that you are so aggressive in pursuing my ultimate good. God, you won't let me just go by the wayside. God, and even in moments where I've been faithless, you've been so faithful, you've sent people to offer correction in my life and help and discipline. And God, there have been plenty of times where I've rejected it. But God, you keep on. You, you never stop. You never stop coming after me. And God, I'm praying right now that you would give me the same tenacity that you have to love me. That you give me the same tenacity for my wife, for my family, for my friends, for the people around me, God. For our church family. We're asking for it right now in the mighty name of Jesus. Now, God, there are things in each family here that need to be dealt with and addressed. Problems that need to be fixed. And God, I don't know all the answers right now in this moment, but here's what I'm asking. Holy Spirit, by your power, will you speak to your people? Voice, I'm asking you to speak to your people. And God, I'm not even asking you to give them the solution. Will you just give them the next step? We thank you for it. We love you, Jesus. In your precious name. At Freedom, we want to help you have authentic relationships with God and His people, to have real experiences with the Holy Spirit, and to find lasting freedom. If the Holy Spirit speaks to you through this message, or if you want to make a decision for Jesus, please reach out at freedomdl.com connect. For more info on Freedom, including service times and location, visit freedomdl.com. Thanks for listening.